Okay, so here's your scripture memory for this week. Um, I did make a mistake on the handout for this week. They're on the front pew. If, again, if you're not savvy with a computer, you don't want to go the computer route. I got 15 copies up here you can pick up. It, they say week three. My bad. This is week four. It's supposed to say week four. And so I'll correct that before it goes on the website so that you'll have it. And then also I brought some extra uh, life conversation guides. If you want to pick one of these up and start looking through that. Again, we're building on this each week. And so I've got... I don't know, I don't know, maybe there's a hundred down here or something. So if you don't have one of these, come get one and we'll continue to build on that. So this is another set of scripture verses that are in, included in that conversation guide. This is all listed in the handout that you can pick up or you can download. Everybody okay with that? You're able to download it, figure that out? Everybody on board? Okay, last week I had some extra stuff on prayer in the handout. I hope that was encouraging to you. This week, you have a new scripture reading assignment if you want to do it. If you'd like to do it, you're going to start reading through the Gospel of Matthew. So you should have completed the Gospel of John. If you're doing the reading, now you'll start the Gospel of Matthew. So the extra reading that I included in the handout is just a little introduction to the Gospel of Matthew that I think will get you really excited about reading the Gospel of Matthew and it will put it in a framework of expectation. And so you can take a look at that. I'm, I'm glad that you'll be able to read that. All right? Okay, so let's, let's talk a little bit about where we've been and kind of what that looks like. So I'm going to do some stuff on the board here. So a disciple is someone who joyfully pursues experiences of a relationship with Jesus. Remember that? So a relationship with Jesus. And we talked about the Word of God. We talked about prayer being a part of that, and then stewardship. So those are the experiences of a relationship with Jesus primarily centered around word, prayer, and stewardship. So if you want to put that into a sentence, it would sound something like this. A disciple experiences a relationship with Jesus by living under Jesus' authority, resulting in a pattern of investments of time in the word of God and prayer so that increases of knowledge are accompanied by corresponding life change. If, if you don't have life change, you have increase in knowledge, you know what you have? Pride. And people who know Christ push away pride and go towards humility. Remember we talked about that last week. And so these experiences of a relationship centered on the word prayer and stewardship means that you're living under authority. That's what stewardship means. You're living under the authority of Christ. So there's a pattern of investment of time in the word and in prayer. So that from that comes this increase of the knowledge of Christ that is seasoned by constant life change and we talked about that concept of change last week and we talked about sanctification talking about growth okay so a disciple is knowing Jesus and this relationship with Jesus is characterized by vital involvements in the church okay so you're getting to know Christ and getting to know Christ is characterized also by vital involvements in the church. And we listed out a few of those previously. We talked about worship. We talked about small groups. We talked about service. And we talked about reaching the world. Okay, now these worship service and small groups have a lot to do with loving other disciples. And reaching the world has everything to, be, to do with being a blessing to all other people. Okay, so it's a relationship with Jesus Christ characterized by vital involvements in the church that look like worship and small groups and service, which is where we're loving other disciples and 
reaching the world where we're seeking to be a blessing to all other people. And so all of this results in a disciple-making lifestyle. So a disciple is knowing Jesus. He's invested in the church so that he's loving other disciples. He's being a blessing to all other people through the church. He is then living a disciple-making lifestyle so that he helps people get to know Jesus, who then become people who live a disciple-making lifestyle. You see how this always is functioning in the church and through the church in the world. Make sense? That's, that's, that's the point of what we're doing here. Every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, when we gather in this place, the point is to know Christ, to be involved in the church, to love other disciples, to be a blessing to all the people so that we become disciple-making people who introduce people to Jesus who become disciple-making people. That's what we do. You see it? All right. So tonight, I want to talk about this component right there, the love other disciples in more detail. Any questions before I move forward? Okay, because I'm going to race this. All right, here we go. All right. I want to ask you a question, and I need your help answering it tonight. The question is, why people come to church? Why do you think people come to church? Okay, they come to worship. Yep. Okay, fellowship. To learn about Christ and all that that entails. Somebody else said something? Okay, we got worship, so we'll keep that there so I don't have to write another phrase. Encouragement, good. Cookies. <laughs> to get cookies, or we might actually say a wife or a husband, <laughs> right? Throw that in there. serve okay they're hurting they need help they, they need healing yeah to pray very good say it again all right to obey okay to be an example and then the last one was uh, obligation this is what I have to do. Yeah, so some people bring their kids because they want their kids to learn things about God. Some people bring their kids because they want their kids to be better kids. Some people bring their kids because they're afraid of what their kids might become if they don't bring them to church, right? Some people bring their kids because they want their kids to have friends. Some people, go ahead. Security. Security, okay, good. Some people come to church because um, it's good for business. Do what? Yeah, babysitting. Some people actually come to church to drop off their children at church and then leave church and go out on a hangout, 
right? All kinds of reasons. Do what? Salvation. People come because they want eternal life. Yeah. Did you say something, Charles? To be seen. Some people come to church because it's better for their reputation in the community that they're seen in church. Especially around November time. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of reasons why people come to church. Yes. To hear, to hear God. Yeah. Very good. There, there are a lot of reasons why people come to church. And some reasons are certainly less noble than others. Some of them, we would say, are simply not even close to a reason why you should be at church. Some of them are really wonderful, and we can find evidence in the Bible of why this is something that you should expect at church. We should expect to hear from God at church. And so if I say I want to come because I want to hear from God, well, that's, that's echoing an expectation that should be driven by the Scripture in my life. But there is, there is one prevailing reason why we should come to church that causes all other reasons to be either right in perspective or corrected if wrong. All right? And, and I, I want to talk to you about that, that one overarching reason. Now, in order to do that, let's look together at a passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. So let me read this passage, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Wait a minute, I, th- I thought he was talking about marriage here. No? He's talking about Christ in the church. Now certainly there is every reason to believe that he's saying something about marriage. But what he's saying about marriage is supposed to help us better understand what he's really saying about Christ and the church. This passage is primarily teaching us Jesus' attitude towards the church. This is very important. So we can look at this passage and we can conclude a few things. And they're all going to come under one banner. And the one banner is that Jesus loves the church. That is extremely clear in this passage. It's mentioned more than once. And it is emphasized by saying everything that Jesus Christ has done for the church so that we might understand properly his love for the church. And so this passage tells us that Jesus Christ gave himself for the church. So he loves the church. How do we know? He gave himself for the church to sanctify the church. Remember that word from last week? So he gave himself for the church so that the church might be a picture of his holiness might possess his holiness and demonstrate his holiness. Which is exactly what he's saying that he's doing with the church. He is cleansing her by the word to present her to himself completely ready, pure, and blameless in all her glory. A glory that Jesus himself provided for the church because he loves the church. 
He nourishes and cherishes the church. He loves the church and one day the church will join him because of his love for the church and the holiness that he gave the church. There is nothing that Jesus loves more than the church. You say, well, wait a minute. How can that be? Well, that passage right there says that he loves the church as he loves himself because we are his body. There is nothing Jesus loves more than the church. Are you with me? See this unfolding here? So, why does a disciple go to church? If, If a disciple follows Jesus, and Jesus loves the church more than anything else, then a disciple goes to church because a disciple loves the church. Follow me? And because a disciple loves the church, a disciple lives his or her life for the glory of Christ in the church. Because see, what God is doing by rescuing the church is he is, through Christ, making the church ready for being the ready bride of Christ. So God is about making the church ready for the return of Christ. And he is doing it through Jesus' love for the church. And as disciples who follow him, we come to church because we love the church. That is the preeminent reason for coming to church. Gives meaning to all other reasons. Guards us against deviating to reasons of self-centeredness and idolatry. We come to church because as disciples we love the church. We love the church because Jesus loves the church. And because we love the church, we live our lives for the glory of Christ in the church. Revelation 19 Verses seven through nine say, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linens, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Jesus gave himself for the church to sanctify her. He washed her with the word so that she might be clean, pure, and holy. It was given to the church to make herself ready, to let the holiness of Christ, which is on the inside, work its way out onto the outside. And the reason why we are to be passionately in love with the church is because Jesus wants us to be a ready bride, and we are called to make ourselves ready. So, we come to church because we are to love the church. There's no higher reason for someone to come to church than to promote the glory of Christ in the church. There is no higher reason to exist than to live for the glory of Jesus Christ in the church. Okay. I've had people tell me through the years as someone who is in the ministry I've had people tell me this don't sell out your family for the church make make sure that you 
protect your family and don't let the church create an issue where you leave your family out, right? I've had people tell me, you better take care of your family and don't let your efforts in the church keep you from loving your family. You, you better make sure that you protect your family from all the things that are required of you in the church, right? Does that make sense? This, this is not foreign to you guys. You've heard people say things. I mean, people say that to me a lot. So what they're implying when they say that is, well, I really affirm that you love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. I'm all about that. But you better be careful and make sure that you love your family next. And, and then you can love the church. If I, if I polled people in Georgetown and I said, would you list the priorities of your life? I suspect that many people might say, many church-going people might say, God, family, church. All right, so this one's not up for debate. We can all agree that we're supposed to love God above all things, right? But when it comes to, to these two competing um, entities, I am fearful that the family is winning out over the church. And I believe that's a departure from Scripture. So, let's think together a little bit, all right? When the Bible communicates that the gospel is to go forward into the world so the disciples are made and the ends of the earth, earth are reached. Does God commission our families or does God commission the church? He commissions the church. When God calls a people to worship the Lord, to administer baptism and the Lord's Supper, does he call families to do that or does he call the church to do that? The church. Who's in charge of preaching the gospel to the world? The family or the church? The church. Okay, here, here's where we get a little bit more pointed. Listen to this. Who did Christ give himself to redeem? My family, your family, or the church? The church. Now, at this point, you've got to tell yourself, I'm going to hang on and hear him out. Okay? Don't shut me down. Don't turn me off. Hang in there. I'm going to unfold this biblically so you can get a grasp of where I'm going. For whom did Christ declare his love? My family or the church? The church. The church is primary. The church is the only bride of Christ. And the church is the family that matters most to God. Right? Isn't that right? Well, just in case you're wondering if that's really right, let's look at Matthew chapter 12. Verses 46 through 50. Really interesting passage here. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mom and his brothers were standing outside. They wanted to speak to him. And someone said, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother, he is, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother, my sister, my mother. So Jesus' family 
his mom and his bros come because they think Jesus is wigging out, think he's going crazy or something. They're concerned about him. They love him. This is Mary's son. This is their oldest brother. And they're worried. They go because they love him. He's in their family. Family is thick, right? And so when they show up, say, we want to speak to Jesus, somebody comes, Jesus, your, your family's out there. He said, hold on, I would want to make something very clear right now. The people who follow my father, the church, right? That is my family. What did he just do? He just communicated to us that for Jesus Christ, the church is primary. The church is more important to Jesus than his own family. I'm pretty sure that Jesus' family was a big deal. If Jesus' family was not as important to Jesus as the church, I'm pretty sure we're safe to say that our families are not as important to Jesus as the church. That's not bad news. That's really good news. I want you to think about Jesus' mom and brothers. If Jesus had decided, you know what? My family is more important than the church. And if they're not happy with what I'm saying or what I'm doing, I'm just going to go with my family because they're more important. Would Jesus' mom and brothers ever had a savior? You see, Jesus' love for the church being primary and his love for his family being secondary meant that he loved his family very much. In fact, I would say to you that Jesus displayed in that moment a love for his family that was superior to any other display of love for his family that he could have had in that moment. Because what he's saying is, in that moment is, I'm not going to let my family that I love deter me from rescuing the church. And what I really love is the church, and the reason I'm doing this to my family is because the family I want them to be a part of means that I've got to love the church more than I love them. And someday they will see what I have done and they will join the family. That's how much I love them. It wasn't that Jesus did not love his family, it was that he loved his family so much that he was willing to give his life for the church so that his mom and his brothers later could see that he is the savior of the world, not just my brother and not just my boy. He is the savior of the world. And I want to be a part of that family, not this little family we thought was more important than what he was doing. Do you see that? Jesus models that the family is secondary. The church is primary. And so, am I saying right now that the church is more important than my family? Yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm saying. If the church is more important than Jesus' family, certainly it's more important than my family. The church is primary for Jesus, and so it should be for his disciples. Okay, so let me clarify what I mean by the church. When I'm talking about the church, I am talking about the local church. And certainly I'm including in that explanation of the local church, the universal church. You know, we have people all over the world that have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They're a part of the universal church. But when I'm talking about the church, Jesus loves the church, I'm specifically talking about the local church because the local church is the only expression of the universal church that we can be involved in. And the only way you can obey Jesus' commands about the church in the life of a disciple is to have the local church be the way you express that obedience. I get so tired of people saying stuff like this to me. I do not like churches but I love the body of Christ I am all about believers everywhere knowing Christ and the church universal the local church stinks I say to that person you cannot make that separation because the Bible does not there is no way to obey Christ 
in his commands regarding the church unless you do it through the expression of the universal church, which is the local church. So anybody who does not love the local church does not love the things that Jesus loves. It's disobedience. Simple as that. So when I say that Jesus loves the church, I'm talking about First Baptist Church, I'm talking about Crestview, I'm talking about Main Street, I'm talking about First Pres, I'm talking about whatever. Whatever church that believes the Bible and trusts in Christ alone for salvation, Jesus loves that local church because he loves his church and he's using the expression of the church locally all over the world to demonstrate that he loves the church by cleansing her and sanctifying her and setting her up as a picture of his holiness so that the world might see him through the church and come to know him. See, he loves the church. It's primary. Yes. I hope it will. I am teaching this to you because if we embrace this, it changes everything. I don't have to beg people to volunteer. I have to figure out ways to use them because people will say, you know why I'm here? Because I love the church and I'm about the church just like Jesus is about the church because if we're about the church, we're about the things that Jesus is about. And if we strengthen this place, the gospel's made clear and this county will see Christ unlike they've ever seen it before. Our problem is we don't love the church. And Jesus has communicated that he loves it more than anything else. We, we, we look at the church as a competing opportunity. If I'm not busy with this or if I don't have this going on or if I got this going on, I'll get to that. And, and I'm just telling you that, that the church is not a competing option for a disciple. For a disciple, the church is everything. A disciple loves the church, lives spends his or her life for the glory of Christ in the church. No other way to reach the nations. No other way to display Christ. So let's keep working through it. Take a deep breath. The letter to the Ephesians is a, is a place in Scripture that gives great detail to this truth. I'm just going to give you a quick survey of Ephesians. I mean, quick. Ephesians chapter 1, God saved us in Christ for the display of his glory. God loved us in Christ and rescued us because of his grace. Ephesians chapter 2, God saved us in Christ for the display of his glory and bringing us all into his household of whom Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Saved us for his glory by his grace, brought us all into his household, his church. Jesus is in charge. Ephesians chapter 3, God's glorious gospel and the glory of God are, be dis are to be displayed through the church forever according to his plan, birth before time began. God's going to display his glory and the gospel through the church forever. Ephesians chapter 4 we learn we are to walk in a manner that's congruent with the wonderful truth that God's glory is to be displayed through the church in Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 talk about your personal life, your family life, your work life being lived for the glory of Christ in the church. It ends with spiritual warfare reminding us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities set itself up against God. And what God is seeking to do. What is God seeking to do? Display his goodness and glory through the church for all eternity. All powers are bent against the further growth of the church. And so we are called to 
fight spiritually. And the last verse in that section on spiritual warfare is verse 18. It says, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You should be concerned for the church in your spiritual warfare. Because that's the aim of Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 4, let's go into a little bit more detail. Verses 11 through 16. Let's read that together. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Did you catch all that? So Jesus Christ has given each of us who believe in him to the church so that we might be a part of moving the body of Christ toward being ready for Christ's return. None of us were given to our families so that we might have great families. That's not our ultimate purpose. None of us were given to our spouses so that we might have great marriages. That's not our ultimate purpose. We were given to the church so that we might be a part of moving the body of Christ towards being ready for Christ's return. We are meant to live for the glory of Christ in the church. We are meant to love the church like Jesus loves the church. And my fear that we'll fall into that perspective that I mentioned a while ago of competing options. So work and family and kids and hobbies are not more important than the church. If we're going to obey scripture, then we must hold the church in the same esteem as does God. And he loves nothing more than the church nothing so we need to do the same and if we do our experiences each and every day as a church will taste will be a taste of what is to come when Christ comes to take us home you know when you're standing out at the grill and you're grilling up some steaks while you're grilling the steaks out on the grill you don't have the finished product until you take the steaks off the grill, right? But I bet everybody in here has grilled out of steak. You've eaten a piece of that steak off the grill before you took it inside as the finished product, haven't you? That's what we do. You cook, you get the privilege of tasting. Well, guess what? God has given us the privilege of having tastes while he's making us into a finished product. But it'll only happen when we love the church like he loves the church. Our end goal is to get the church ready to go home with the Lord, a mature and ready church. If we pursue that end, we will regularly experience fruitfulness and faithfulness of Christ. Our progress towards that goal functioning as a body of Christ in this place will deepen our experience of unity We'll deepen our knowledge of Christ and we'll grow towards maturity. And the church will grow. And disciples will be made. And lives will be changed. The more we live for the glory of Christ in the church, the more we will enjoy the blessings of unity and a deep relationship with God and the maturity that enables us to taste of the fullness of Christ. This is the answer to the coming storm in First Baptist Church.
whatever it is. Whatever the next storm is, whatever the next issue is, whatever the next hard spot is, whatever the next disagreement is, whatever the next concern is, whatever the next set of preferences is, this is the answer. If we love the church like Jesus loves the church, we will not jeopardize the sanctifying of the church over our petty differences and short-term preferences. In addition to experiencing the glory of Christ in the church, when we live this way, we'll no longer be tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. We'll, we'll, we'll function in such a way that nobody here remains spiritual infants, easy to be deceived. People will grow in maturity and they will come to see Christ and savor his wonder and they will not be enticed by the counterfeits of the enemy because they will see more clearly than ever the beauty of Jesus. The church is not supposed to be a competing option in our lives. Living for the glory of Christ in the church is supposed to be the one thing for which all other things are done. We should seek to become disciples who invest in our families, we invest in our marriages, we invest in our hobbies, we invest in our work with the church in mind. We are to make disciples for the glory of Christ in the church. That's why we're called to make disciples. There's no other reason except to prepare the bride of Christ because Christ loves the church and wants her ready. This is the chief purpose of our lives and so we should care about the church, love the church and strive to love Christ by living for the glory of Christ in the church. And if more of us will abandon our lives to live for the glory of Christ in the church, our families will be much better. So many people think that the way to a great family is to prioritize the family. And I'm telling you that Jesus has told us the way to the great family is to prioritize the church. This kind of abandon protects families. Okay, so think through some of this with me. If all of us care more about our jobs and our families and ourselves than we do the church, how many people does that leave to then make the bride of Christ ready? Not many, right? And when not many are available to serve the church in place of all disciples who are called to serve the church, then those few get worn to a frazzle and they abandon their families and they fall apart. Do you know one of the great reasons for the demise of pastors throughout our church history? Because people didn't love the church like their pastor was striving to love the church and nobody came alongside him to take the burden as the church should bear it together. This is better for our families. You see, when we are all loving the church like Christ loves the church, then we are all busy about strengthening the church. And guess what? We can tend to our families and our jobs and our hobbies with great joy and freedom, seeing the strengthening of the church through all those activities. Let me give you some examples here. When we serve our spouse for the sake of Christ's glory in the church that's better for my spouse. So the, the church is more important than my family but that does not mean that my family is unimportant to me or to God. Jesus' family was incredibly important to Jesus. He saved them. So God loves me he loves you, he loves my family, he loves your family. He cares deeply for our families, our children. God loves my kids more than I'll ever love them. But I should not love my kids more than the church. I should not love my wife more than the church. 
and that's better for my family. Think about how this works out. Um, so, so I was able to coach my kids in Little League and when kids walked up to the plate, I like them to crowd the plate a little bit. It makes the strike zone seem smaller and it gives a kid an opportunity to get hit with the baseball. <laughs> and then we get a free base, you know. And so, I mean, you can stand in the batter's box and get close to home plate and you got a good chance in Little League to get pegged. And it's all about getting runners on base because you get a runner on base, they're going to get a lot of free bases and they're going to eventually score, right? You guys have done Little League before. You know how that works. So it's inevitable when the kid gets pegged that parents and coaches and teammates yell out, way to take one for the team, right? You've heard it said many times. And what is it that you're reinforcing in that kid's mentality? You're an important part of this team as a player, but you're not as important as the team. You're one player. The team is more important. You take one for the team, it's better for all of us. Way to go. Now rub it off. Get to first base, you know. <laughs> we think this way in our lives personally. If you go home tonight, God forbid that you walk into your house with your family and an intruder is in your house. How many of you moms and dads in that situation, if your kids were in jeopardy, would gladly throw your life in front of your children? to save their lives. Why? Because every one of us in here would say my family is more important than me. We get it. We get that as individuals there's a team more significant than us. And what I'm communicating to you tonight is that there's no more significant team than the church. So pl play this out in, in the area of marriage. So if Ephesians 5 says to the husband, you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church, right? That's what it says in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loves the church. Well, Christ loves the church. And a man's love for his wife is to reflect that love that Christ has for the church. It is what we're supposed to do but it is what we're supposed to do because of the importance of Christ in the church, not only because of the importance of marriage. It's not, the marriage, it's not that the marriage is unimportant, but, the, but that the marriage is a player on the team. My marriage is a player on the team of the church. Okay? So, so here's how you flesh that out. The marriage is loved by God. God loves your marriage. But the reason God loves your marriage is because a strong marriage nurtured in the love of God makes a strong church. God's end game is not a bunch of strong families populating heaven. God's end game is a strong church being the display of his glory for all eternity. And so God is after strong families. He loves your family because he loves the church. And how terrible would it be if he loved our family more than he loves the church? Our families would be without hope. But because he loves the church more, he sent Christ to die. And the strengthening that he wants in every one of our marriages is because he loves the church. That means that God is offering at my use and benefit all the strength of heaven for the sanctifying of the church to be applied in my marriage. He loves my marriage. But I'll only recognize his love for my marriage through recognizing his love for the church. So as a husband, if I don't understand Christ's love for the church, if I make that secondary, okay, then what does that mean about my love for my wife? If Jesus says, you're to love your wife like I love the church, and I say, well, you didn't love the church that much. I like that deal. That's not good for my wife. But if I understand that Jesus loves the church more than anything, and I'm to love my wife like Christ loves the church, how much am I to love my wife? 
that's good for her that I understand Jesus loves the church more than my marriage. If I don't understand Christ loves the church and my wife is a part of the church, so Lindley has trusted Christ as the Lord and Savior. If I don't understand Christ's love for the church, then my love, what does that mean for my love for her? Well, it means that I don't love her like I would if I understood Christ's love for the church because if she's a member of the church, I'm gonna want to see her sanctified more than anything else because of my passion to love the church like Christ loves the church. He's after a ready bride. There's nothing more great and wonderful I can do as a husband than to love her in a way that she loves Christ more. And the way I'll be motivated to do that most is if I care most about the church. If I care most about her, then my love will become self-serving and I will turn it around on itself. I'll become deceived and think I'm actually doing a good job in my family. When in reality, I'm just out to love her well enough that she gives me what I want and what I need. But if I get this right, I will be compelled to abandon myself, to love her selflessly, to give myself whether she gives in return or not because I want her to be faithful in the church more than anything else because I love the church like Jesus loves the church. See that? This is beautiful truth. Okay, think about parenting. Ephesians talks about parenting. Children obey the Lord. Uh, because obey their parents because of the Lord. Fathers are to raise their children so they know the Lord. All parenting is to be done so their children become faithful members of the church. If, if I don't understand that I should love the church like Jesus loves the church, then I'm going to look at my kids as kids I've got to raise to be successful in this world. And I might send them to great colleges and I might give them great opportunities. I might provide for them all that they ever needed and wanted to make sure that they're as happy as can be as they grew up in my household. But if I understand that Jesus loves the church more than anything, then I will raise my kids to be faithful in the church because I'm about strengthening the church. And instead of getting my kids raised to be successful in this world, I'll raise them to give their lives for Jesus and they'll be successful in eternity. If I don't get this right, I will raise my kids to be self-centered and self-absorbed even though I'm well-meaning in my parenting. If I get this right, I'll raise my kids to give their lives for Christ. And that is the glory of Christ in the church. To raise my children to abandon all things for the sake of Christ. God calls me to love the church and I am compelled to love my children correctly through the lens of loving the church more than I love my kids. It makes me want my children to be faithful in the household of God because the church matters more. I'm not after compliant children. I'm after faithful children who know and love God because Jesus loves the church. I want them to know his love. And that compels me to raise them. All right, so the reason we seek to function healthily as a family, resolving conflicts, serving each other, growing in kindness, doing life together, sharing sorrows and joys, living under authority as a family is so that the church is strengthened and God is rightly worshipped. There is no greater purpose for our families See, none of us were given to our families so that our families would be great. It's not the point. None of us were given to our spouses so that our marriages would be great. That's not the point. None of our children were given to us so that we might have successful kids in this world. It's not the point of what God is doing. We are grafted, all of us, we're grafted into the church so that we might be a part of moving the body of Christ towards being ready for Christ's return. We are, we are meant to live for the glory of Christ in the church. The church does not exist to support families. Some people believe that. That's not true. The family exists to support the church. It doesn't mean that the church does not seek to support families, but the church has to seek to support families because families are meant to support the church. If churches just seek to minister to families to make strong families, we're creating and, and really encouraging the idolatry of the family. If we don't teach people that God is for your family because your family is supposed to be for God, 
then we're teaching people how to take up a form of idolatry that is so subtle in our culture that is robbing the church blind of faithfulness. I've been praying today that we would all be receptive of this difficult truth. There's a passage in Haggai, Haggai chapter one. Is that right? So, Haggai chapter 1, this is what God is saying to the people. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, it is time for you, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses? You've been taking care of your houses while this house, my house, lies desolate. You catch what's happening here? Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You sow much, but harvest little. You're spending a lot of time trying to take care of your house. It's not working out so good, is it? You drink, but there's not... You, you eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one's warm enough. He who earns wages put it in a, put, puts it in a purse with holes in it. You can't hold on to what you're making. What you eat doesn't satisfy you. Do you wonder what's going on here, people? And God says, look, I wanted to work in you this is what he's saying to his people. I wanted to work in you so that something incredible would happen in you. But what incredible happens in you is really supposed to serve what's happening among the people. But you don't have a concern for my house. You think this whole thing is about building your house. He says, you focus on building your house by ne and neglecting my house. Here's what's going to happen in your house. It's not going to work out because that's not the way I designed it. The way I designed it is you take care of my house, I'll take care of your house, and people will see the difference with you. And nobody will be able to figure it out except through seeing Jesus Christ who loves his house. You line yourself up with what Jesus loves he takes care of what he values, what he's concerned about, what he wants to invest in. And he cares about you. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your children. But sometimes we don't care enough about him to experience the depth of his care for us. And he's just saying, I want you to care, what I, care about what I care about. Because I want to take care of you. But there's a way you get taken care of by me. You esteem what I esteem. You love what I love. And you'll find the favor that you're longing for. Pretty powerful passage. If you know Jesus, you'll discover that he loves the church. So if you have an experience of relationship with Jesus, you're going to discover Jesus loves the church. I'm a part of the church. He loves me. So-and-so is a part of the church. He loves them. They hurt me. I don't like them. But Jesus loves them. If Jesus loves the church and I'm called to love the church, I don't care if I like them or not. Jesus has given me the capacity by his spirit to forgive them and to like and love them because he likes and loves them. There is church. See how it works? It's amazing. If you know Jesus, you'll discover that he loves the church and a love for the church results in vital involvements of loving other disciples. If you discover that Jesus loves the church and you love the church, 
it will result in a reproducing lifestyle. Disciple-making lifestyle. Because your whole life will be about building up the church and bringing others into the church. And there'll be nothing else that gives you greater joy and fulfillment than living as a disciple-maker. Because that's what you were made to be. A disciple of Jesus Christ loves the church and lives for the glory of Jesus Christ in the church. All right, any questions? Yes. So he emphasizes the fact that in marriage, one of the challenges is having a divided heart. I've got to be concerned about my wife and my kids. If I was not married, I could then just be concerned about the things of Christ. So what Paul does, he helps us out a great deal here because he says, okay, the things that keep you from doing the things you could do if you did not have a family, well, those things are things you can do to strengthen the church. But if you miss that, you're going to miss Christ. Does that make sense? So Paul helps us by redefining in Ephesians the concept of family in relation to the church. Everything that he's commanding to do in both work and family in Ephesians is in the context of being the church. He talks about, I could do the whole thing about work, slaves, and masters in Ephesians chapter 6. Well, that's a work environment. And he's saying you need to live this out in such a way that it makes a lot of good stuff happen for the church. So the idea is that I'm going to work with the church in mind. I'm going to work knowing this is the place where God has enabled me to display the, the excellence that he's given me so that I can be a blessing to all people. I'm going to church so that I can strengthen other disciples, so that I can make a difference in their life, so I can pray for them daily, so I can be a light of encouragement, so I can tell them they need to be faithful in their church, so I can encourage them to love Jesus and love his church. I'm being there so that I can strengthen the church. And you know what that makes you? A great employee. Because you bring to bear the greatest blessing on the face of the earth into a work environment that is chiefly concerned about money. Nothing wrong with money, right? Nothing wrong with them trying to make money in the workplace. Everything right about Christians having the mentality, the lens of I'm doing this because I love the church and I want to bring people in the church I want to strengthen people who are following Christ. That's why I work doesn't matter what you do. If you have that mentality, you can get fired up about your job. It changes the way you think. In fact, it moves you to the place of going to work and instead you go to worship. I, gotta go, I, I get to go to worship every Sunday. It's really great. No, you get to go to worship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday if you see your work as an opportunity to strengthen the church. You get to go to worship every day. But if you don't love the church like Christ loves the church, it's just a job. Just a way to bring home what you need to live on. When in reality, God says he's our provider, not us. Okay, any other questions before we close out? We're running out of time. We're out of time. Any other questions? Yes. Yes, so the question is, how do I define the church? Again, I'm defining the church by saying it is the local church, which is the expression of the universal church. So the only place you can be involved in the church is by walking through the doors of a church. If you say, I'm going to just stay home and pray and seek the Lord by myself, I don't really like you know, the church down the street, I'm just going to do church at my house because I'm a part of the body of Christ. Wrong it doesn't work. You cannot obey the Lord in his commands regarding the body of Christ, the church, the people of God, the display of Christ through the church, the leadership of the church living under the authority of the church. I mean, read the book of Philemon. You know what the book of Philemon is all about? It's about the church getting in the business life of Philemon. That's what it's about. People seem to overlook that. Wait a minute. 
they read a letter in the church about Fleeman's business dealings? Yeah, and he was called to account in his business life for the sake of the church. It's right there in Fleeman. The whole thing's unpacked right there, the same framework. And a lot of us want to say, well, church stuff is church stuff, but when I go to work, the church can't come and tell me how to do my work. Wrong. Not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, the church has, should be interested in everything you do for the sake of the glory of Christ in the church and the salvation of unreached people. Everybody with me? Yeah. Oh, yes. When I say the church, I'm not talking about the physical structure. Thank you. I'm talking about the people that make up this body of believers. Okay, so when I'm at home ministering to my wife and my children and pressing them forward to be following Christ, you know what I'm doing? I'm strengthening the church. When I'm at work and I'm engaging people to follow Christ, I'm strengthening the church. But this gathering of people is the church, okay? I'm not the church when I'm home with my family. My family is not the church. We're a part of the church. We're a player. We're not the team. This, when we gather here in this place, we are saying this is the team. And this is the team that's going to follow Christ as an expression of his church. This is the church right here. This is our body. Make sense? All right. Okay, process, think, pray, dig into the word, wrestle. Come back next week. I'll start off with a time of questions. And I'll do answer question Q&A next Wednesday. So don't check out between now and then. Keep processing. Keep working through this. Wrestle with the scripture. Come back. We'll keep working out. Next week, we'll talk about a disciple seeks the lost, just like Jesus did. And we'll start unpacking how do you engage the lost people.